What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 148 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It's a Monday evening uh, just before the national championship game is about to be played in the college football world. And this is a baseball podcast, I know, but I wanted to sort of set the stage as to when and why and how this podcast is being recorded. Nothing is happening, but the great Eric Cole is here joining me to talk about what actually is, I guess, quote unquote, happening. So what's up, Eric? What's up, man? Is it weird that I had almost forgotten that that game was happening, which I guess explains my level of attention to football and college football in general? Um, it's probably like fighting words if you live in the South to not know the game's happening, but I understand. Like, it's there hasn't been a ton of buzz, actually. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I'm excited. I love college football with all my being, but I think nationally it's not a huge enough deal to where there's like been that huge like buildup and buzz that you might often get sometimes. I'm not really sure why, though, other than the fact that it's just like another rematch between Alabama and Clemson. They're clearly the two best teams, and they're playing for the te- for the title, which is fun for me, but I sort of get it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, just, I don't know. It's been a while since I've really kind of been into football and college football in general. I mean, partially because, um, spoilers, I'm, I'm not a Falcons fan. Uh, I grew up in upstate New York, so I'm a Buffalo Ooh. I'm a Buffalo Bills fan and a long-suffering one at that. So it's I haven't really had much to be super excited about. Uh, and then college football is just never something I was really like as attached to. So I don't know. That might make you know some folks bad at me online. But, you know, at the same time, uh, I was actually, once you said that, I was like, oh, right, that game is happening tonight. It is, and I, as a result of that, I don't think our audience will be massive uh, during the game when I post this. Um, but by, by Tuesday morning, people will probably be listening to it, I'm sure. And listen, there isn't much going on. I do want to sort of gather the troops and talk about something on this podcast. I um, could not do it on Sunday because I had just, I had some Hawks responsibilities, et cetera, et cetera. And actually, this upcoming weekend, I am traveling. So if you were if you were wanting to bet on when a Braves move will happen, I would imagine it will be Friday or Saturday, right when I'm right in the middle of traveling over the weekend. That would be the best time to do it. But Sounds about regardless, right. yeah, I wanted to get something in the can, uh, give people some Braves talk, even if it's not necessarily anything groundbreaking right now, because nothing, again, it's like the third podcast in a row I've said that, but really nothing's happening. Yeah, it's been kind of, uh, it's been particularly quiet, and it's not really just the Braves, it's just kind of overall, the moves that are being made are just really kind of just nothing moves. It seems like there was a, a kind of a little bit of a flurry of activity before the winter meetings, and since then everyone's just kind of, you know, a couple small things here and there. Everyone seems to be waiting on what Machado and Harper are going to be doing and, you know, kind of going from there. That is important to note. I think Braves fans believe this is like a Braves-only problem in terms of the lack of content and the lack of buzz. That is not true in any way, shape, or form. A quick tour around the league will tell you that nothing is really happening. There's been like one move a week of of significance in the entire league for like the last three or four weeks now. Just nothing is really happening. So I promise Braves fans, it's not just you. Everybody else is dealing with this as well. It's just the fact that the Braves... Yeah, you know, they're now like trying to be contenders, and I think people are nervous, and rightly so, with the you know kind of where the team is at this moment. But we'll talk more about that as we go here. Um, in the absence of an actual headline item, I do want to talk about the thing that came up on Monday morning that sort of dominated Braves Twitter to the extent that it actually exists on a Monday, and that was a little nugget from Ken Rosenthal at the Athletic that involved Adam Duvall. Braves fans, uh, this is not this is nothing breaking in terms of uh, news here, but Braves fans are very split on Duvall. He was obviously terrible upon arrival in Atlanta after people like you and I praised that trade. I still would, by the way. I think it was a, yeah. a good trade still in a vacuum. But um, this came from Ken Rosenthal. I'm going to read it to you just so this is the full nugget. And, of course, this is behind paywall, so my apologies to The Athletic, but here we are. And I <laughs> quote, the Braves, the, the Braves' remaining need is an outfielder, but the team might end up turning to Adam Duvall in left field if the market for a desirable free agent or trade candidate plummets and the team chooses to redirect its money or prospect capital to that player. 
Duval, who is 30 years old, is quite affordable with a projected $3.1 million salary in arbitration, end quote. So, you know, you and I know this fan base quite well, Eric. People were really mad about this. I saw you tweet about this a little bit earlier. Um, let's just go big picture, then we'll sort of drill down. What was your first reaction to seeing that paragraph from uh, the world's leading baseball insider in Ken Rosenthal? So uh, my first reaction is, oddly enough, uh, Bennett Hip tweeted at me, which was uh, the, a very similar reaction to the one that I had, which is the part that made me the most interested was if was regarding the team chooses to redirect its money or prospect capital to a to that player, which makes me feel as though they are willing to make moves. It might they don't they aren't wedded to the idea they have to find a corner outfielder to use their resources on. And that they would be willing to put Duvall in left field if an opportunity for a big name or a big upgrade somewhere else is made themselves made the, made itself available, which is exactly what they should be doing, by the way. Um, and it makes me think that there are some deals on the table potentially. Um, I, it it didn't come across to me as the Braves are cheap. You know, they're not going to do anything. They're just going to roll with Duvall. I think instead it made me think that. You know, the Braves feel like, it, one, it could just be a posture, you know, negotiating position type thing, which is entirely possible given how, the way this front office works and how things leak out, or in most cases don't leak out. Um, but more importantly, it's it just makes me feel like that they're looking at all their options and not necess- and realizing that, you know, while Adam Duvall in left field obviously isn't like an ideal scenario, I mean, he's a really good defensive player and he has done things that are positive offensively. Now, not maybe a ton of them, uh, in that he's pretty much been, you know, a league average hitter more or less with some power, but like really bad on base skills. So it's kind of, it's a, it's a, I understand why people would be upset if the Braves made zero moves whatsoever and Adam Duvall was the corner outfielder that they rolled with in 2019. But if they make other moves and let's say they, whether it be a JT Realmuto trade, whether it be, you know, upgrading another position that we're not really fully aware of that, you know, could just come out completely out of nowhere. Um, upgrading the rotation significantly, some, a move like that. If they did those things and then they're like, well, in this situation where we made these moves, we'd be okay with running Duvall out there. I, I completely agree with that. Um, and I, I don't know. It was kind of weird seeing all the reactions online because people were really upset that the Braves were being cheap. And I'm like, look, if they, if they don't do anything else and Adam Duvall is the corner outfielder, that is a reason to you know get your pitchforks and your torches. But if they make other moves and then they have this, a guy in Duvall who could fill that spot, um, in in the quarter of field in the meantime, I have no problems with that. None. Yeah, I think that's a good encapsulation. I will say it was very um, headline driven in terms of some of the reaction, and it was predictable. You know, Braves fans immediately want to yell at Liberty Media, and I'm like, guys, this is not a Liberty Media thing right now. Like, bringing back Adam Duvall, a he's he was offered a he was offered arbitration, so he's not going to be. I mean, I guess they, they, they could still pull that at some point, but I think he's going to be on the roster, which makes sense. He's a quality player. We'll talk about that more in a second. But the important part, as you mentioned, is the, the sort of the caveat here. It was not a report that the Braves are leaning towards this because they want to do this. It's because um, this is an. It's basically saying this is an option if. Again, this is what I'm, re- I'm reading again now. If, quote, the market for a Zalba free agent or trade candidate plummets and the, chooses, and the team chooses to redirect its money or prospect capital to that player, end quote. That does not mean that they're bringing back Duvall and just rolling with the, with the group they have now. As you said on Twitter, as I'll say now, that would, that would be bad. We would criticize that, I'm pretty sure. Um, I am someone who likes Adam Duvall more than I think most, and we'll talk about why here in a moment. But 
I made the same. I made a similar point last week when talking to Scott about Nick Markakis. And Markakis is someone who I know I'm a little bit lower on than most people are. But we talked about him as a fallback option on a very short-term contract. And that making some sense if the Braves used some of their capital elsewhere to upgrade, like with Real Muto, for instance. That was the most obvious one. If they go ahead and do that and upgrade the up, upgrade the lineup at, at a catcher, a spot where it's difficult to upgrade, going lower cost and lower commitment in the outfield, i.e. Marquecas, obviously who costs more than, more than Duvall, but would be a short-term commitment, or Duvall, that makes some sense. Real Muto is not the only way that works, but that's sort of the most high-profile um, obvious conception of this. But yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. It's Duvall is not a sexy option as a starting outfielder. And by the way, this is what I'll say now. I do think that if they go that route with Duvall, having a left-handed platoon partner for him is probably a necessity. I don't think you want to play Adam Duvall for 155, 160 in the outfield. I think just splits-wise, all that fun stuff, I think you want to have a better fourth outfield option than they currently have, which is they don't really have one. Um, so they're going to have to do something else there. But I do think if you throw in Real Muto, like I, I saw a popular conception today on a Twitter. I can't remember who, who tweeted it out, so my apologies. But one of the ideas was if if we told you right now the Braves traded for Real Muto and like and Sonny Gray or insert free agent pitcher X, like Dallas Keuchel or whatever you want to do, an upgrade in starting rotation and Real Muto, would you be okay with Adam Duvall as, as the outfielder start the season? My answer to that is yes. I wouldn't be you know over the moon excited about Adam Duvall starting the season, but the notion that the Braves are just you know absolutely screwed if they have Adam Duvall starting under any circumstances is just not accurate. I completely agree. And if you think about it in that scenario, how much on paper? Now, we, there's there's a lot of factors with, it, especially with a young team, whether or not pe- team players either can maintain their production or continue to take steps forward. It's not a given. Uh, I will say that. But I mean, because you got a lot of you got a lot of production in the first half out of Nick Markakis. Uh, it didn't happen in the second half, but like if you get if you take steps back, like let's say Ozzy isn't quite as good as he was last year uh, on the whole and things like that, you know I can see some people getting a little bit saltier than maybe they would be because they're like, look, Adam Duvall is our left fielder and we're we're not we're not in first place right now like we were last year or something like that. But if you look on paper and if you see an upgrade where you see Josh Donaldson in this lineup, Yoan Camargo playing all over the place, you know, getting lots of it, getting lots of at bats. Uh, and then if you saw, let's say it's a, re- a real Muto, and you have a Sunny Gray in your rotation. Again, that's not a Clayton Kershaw trade or a Bryce Harper signing, but you made your roster better, and those are investments in your roster. If you're doing that, sometimes you just have to make hard choices, and you can't have you know ten, fifteen million dollar guys at every position. You just can't. And if that's the way that if that's the way that works out, and you see a, and you see the team investing in their roster that's where they place their bets maybe they don't work out as often as you'd like but i would be perfectly happy with that um and it doesn't mean that how to do ball has to start in left field all season if you've believed that austin riley can make a transition from third base to left field and it seems like the Braves are at least going to entertain that possibility of giving him playing time out there then you just have adam duvall out there for a little while and then you have austin riley coming up yeah that's, that's a good point by the way the other, the other thing alongside riley is the whole the whole thing with having Johan Camargo is that I think at some point they're probably going to try him in the outfield, um, and if it's Duvall yeah. and Camargo, that makes some sense. Uh, yeah. I'm not, again, I'm not saying that this is going to be the move that they that they make, but the thing with having depth and having a guy in Camargo who's a starting level player who's not currently an everyday starter 
is that you can rotate guys and you can sort of have a pseudo platoon with with Duvall and Camargo if you think Camargo can play the outfield, um, Donaldson and all that fun stuff. So, I, I you know it does not lock you in opening the season with Duvall as your quote unquote starting left fielder does not lock you into him all year, and nope. he's not he's, it's cheap if it doesn't work. Like, if 2018 is the new normal for Adam Duvall, then obviously he's not a starting caliber outfielder. We kind of understand that. But if we're willing to see the big picture, see beyond, you know, five feet away from your face, and realize that Duvall might not be as bad as he was in 2018 because he's never been that bad in his life, then you have to understand, like, it's not a situation where we're arguing that Adam Duvall is now, like, the full, is now the full stop starting left fielder, you know, come hell or high water. That's not, that's not, that's not what we're saying here, but... I think he's better than people think he is, number one. And number two, flexibility is a thing, and now you have depth. And, again, it just doesn't – going back to the very, the, the very first point, if what Rosenthal is saying here is true, the team is not just saying Duvall is a starting outfielder. They're saying that's an option if we do this, this, and this. And that's fine. I mean, he's not – again, he's not good. And I, I understand the knee-jerk reaction. Like, our Twitter mentions at Talking Chop today were filled with lots of – people being silly honestly and just like screaming about screaming about Duval and Liberty Media and uh, and uh, and Anthopolis and just kind of doing the lazy thing which I understand but let's just this is why we come on this podcast and I think this is my <laughs> MO and I know it's yours as well we're going to sort of talk all the way through it and I'm not going to kill them right now in early January because this report is out there uh, I agree um now at the same time I do think it's fair to not give them credit for moves they haven't made yet so oh, I understand. That's, that's true. Yep. I, like so. At the same time, if if this report comes out and like they make like a move for a player that we don't understand like the fit at all, and Adam Duvall is the corner outfielder, you know, like maybe it's like a, a trade for a reliever that like passes prime or something like that. You know, if, there's ways this can go sideways. Uh, Absolutely. And, and you you can you can you can either spend your money poorly or you can open the the 2019 season with a payroll that is less than what you were paying in 2018. And if those things are true then fans have every right to be upset. Now, I don't I think you and I agree we don't think that's going to happen. I just I just don't see a world where they would do that. I think that they when you when you publicly say our two need our two, you know, needs slash wants right now are a corner outfielder and a frontline starting pitcher, that doesn't mean you're shopping in the bargain bin and you're trying to get your payroll below $110 million. That's that's you're you're looking for real upgrades and you're trying to maximize value and if you need to wait to do that to get the guys you want at the price you want then that's what you should do. Um, but if you know the end of spring training rolls around and you know Duvall's your corner outfielder and you know Julio Tehran's your opening day starter and you haven't really made a lot of you know, haven't made a lot of upgrades to the roster beyond what you've already done and and invested in your roster that is a problem and I agree with that but I just don't think that's the most likely thing to happen. Yeah, um, we have to uh, we'll, we'll, we'll preach patience, but I agree. I mean, we said this before. I think even I, you and I together, I've said this on this podcast. If they come into the season with a lower payroll, that's going to be something that we criticize. It's just the way it is, and I'm sure they'll have something to say about that. And I'm sure it'll be at least partially. If that happens, it will be because of the fact that the market was just bizarre. But it just doesn't look good, and we'll say that when it happens. So, um, real quickly, I did want to talk about Duval as a player just a little bit. I know we spent some time on him previously, but. In the absence of uh, some rational thought on this and other places, let's talk about him a little bit now. Obviously, he was terrible this year. Let's say that now. He was awful when he arrived in Atlanta. He was quite Unplayable. Bad. Like, no one's saying otherwise. He was terrible. Now, before that, he had about 1,300 player play, play appearances in Cincinnati across three seasons. He was basically a full-time starter for two years and a little bit of the previous year. 
He was worth about four and a half wins in 334 games. That's just a little bit over two seasons. That's a pretty solid, you know, low-end starting caliber player. He had a 101 WRC+. plus. Like, he was a league average hitter. I know it wasn't in a beautiful package because, you know, fans always hate guys who hit for low batting average. At least some fans do. Um, but low batting average does not mean you're a bad hitter. That's uh, That was the number one stat, stat I saw was he's a two, like a 226 batting average. Like, I don't care about that. What's the what's the full package? And that's that's what it was. Basically, a league average hitter in Cincinnati. Um, a lot of the reaction that I saw also was that he hit in Great, Amer- Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati, and as a result of that, his numbers were skewed and all this fun stuff. Well, not to, not to pour uh, cold water on that, but he was actually a better hitter in his entire career so far on the road than he was at home. He had a, he had 40 points higher OPS, about 765 or so, on the road in his career than he does at home. So goodbye that narrative. That's that's not a thing. It might have, it might have helped him a little bit certain times, but Adam Duvall has real power. That's his big thing as a, as a hitter is the big time power that he has. He's projected by all the systems to hit 20 plus homers this year with full time play appearances. Now that doesn't mean he's projected to be a great hitter by those same systems, but power is what he does, and that would play. In Great American Ballpark or otherwise, he has been very, very good with power anywhere. And it's not just like Coors Field driven or Great American Ballpark driven. This is a thing where he's just hit with power everywhere he's ever been. So, do you have a reaction to that? Before I know that's a lot of numbers that I throw out, throw out there, but basically the gist is he's been a league average hitter, which is, for $3 million, a great value, by the way, um, a league average hitter for three full seasons before last year. I mean, that's basically what we were kind of expecting Nick Markakis to be, and a lot of people were okay with that overall offensive value. Oh, and by they, the way, he was a he was a better hitter than Markakis. He's a better player than Markakis over the over the two previous seasons, 2016-2017, Duvall was a better hitter and a better overall player than Markakis was. Period. And Duvall like, would be making and and Duvall would be making how much less than Markakis did over those each of those seasons? Uh, Eight million. Um, Duvall making Duvall was pro- is projected at three point one million. Markakis was making eleven million a year. And again, Markakis was obviously a lot better last year. No one's saying otherwise. Sure. That he was great, uh, especially in the first half last year. But Duvall for the two previous seasons was better than Markakis, and that's just a, a rough baseline. I know that's something we we always that, get killed about is saying that Markakis was basically league average, but he was, and so was Duvall, except for with better defense and more power. And yeah, I about to say that the, the defensive value you get from him, especially if you think that, especially if you think that his, if, if you think that Nick Markakis's defensive value increased this year because of a lot of the defensive positioning that the Braves were doing, and it seemed like there's like there were steps up overall for the entire team last year. If you think that Duvall can at least keep the same defensive value, if not have more defensive value where in whatever corner they decide to put him in. And I know there's debate as to whether or not left field or right field is kind of is the harder position in SunTrust and stuff, which is seems a little silly to me on a number of levels. But you know, <laughs> um like it's it's he's a guy that you'd get real value for for not a lot of money. And if now which which means it makes sense to have him as your starter if you're in reinvesting, and this is an important caveat, if you are investing that other money that you would have into the roster somewhere. If you're doing this, you're like, well, this is a, he's a guy that can give us, you know, one and a half, two war in the corner outfield, and he's not very expensive. And that's the end of the conversation. That's a different. That's different because I, I am not of the opinion that you know guys like Adam Duvall or guys like you know like one year contract guys like Nick Barcakis or uh, Carlos Gonzalez are are guys that in a vacuum that this team should be sign, signing. But I definitely see cases where they they could be. Yeah, I mean. 
I, I again, I went on the record last week and surprised some people and say Marquecas would be a acceptable option for me if they do other things. And there's yeah. it's because there's safety there. I, I think Marquecas is someone who was clearly not the same player in the second half of last year. But nope. I think if you go ahead and do a if you make a move like Real Muto is again the most popular construct of this, but if you go ahead and make a move elsewhere. You can deal with having a league average bat in the outfield, like he was. Um, same with Duvall. And, and again, I think if you asked me, in fact, I'll say it now, Marquecas is, you know, most of the time in 2019, I will say Marquecas will be better than Duvall. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying Duvall will be better than Marquecas. I think um, more often than not, Marquecas will be better than Duvall in 2019. And I think he's safer because of what we saw last year. With that said, there's a real-world scenario where Duvall's better than Marquecas. We just saw it for two out, two out of the last three years. We saw that. And it, importantly for me, Duvall makes $3 million. Marquecas is probably going to make eight figures. Even if even if Marquecas takes the sort of you know come-back-home deal with, with Atlanta, it's going to be for eight figures. I'm pretty sure of that. Maybe I'll be wrong, but there's no way he's taking $3 million. It's going to be a significant amount of money for Marquecas. It, and, it will definitely be more than Duvall. I'm, I'm not I'm not sold it's going to be I'm not sold it would be eight figures though. I think it's going to be. I, I mean I could be wrong, but even if it's just like a safe a, a help your guys save face kind of deal, I don't I don't think Marquecas is coming back for less than $10 million. Maybe I'm crazy. But regardless, I'm not again, I'm not saying Duvall is better than Marquecas. He's not. But at $3 million and a guy you already have You've already commit. You've already you know you, you've tendered him. He's already like a part of your team right now. I, again, I would want I would want somebody somebody to platoon with him. Um, by the way, just one note here: um, before last year's weirdness, Duvall had a 109 WRC plus against left left-handed pitching, so he was about you know a solidly above average hitter against left-handed pitching in his career before last year. Before his last, again before last year's downturn, I think platooning him would be the way to go. Um, maybe not a strict platoon, but maybe something with Camargo or another guy that you want to have a good, a, a good defending left-handed hitting fourth outfielder. Um, but still, I am not upset by the notion of a Duvall starting quote unquote outfielder situation again if they do other things. If they don't do anything else, we're going to kill them. <laughs> That's just what it is. You it's, know what I mean? It's it's going to be brutal, and I'm and I'm willing to be patient about that because that just kind of seems like that's just what the market is right now. Like a lot of these big name trades and big name free agents, like there people are there's just nothing happening on those fronts right now. You know, there's meetings that you hear rumors are like, well, he's visiting this city, or you know, there's there's just it, things are moving very slowly. And I mean, I think I read something earlier today that there's like there are six teams in the major leagues that have not signed a single free agent yet. Not one, not not no bench players, no nothing. Here and, in January, that is, uh, I mean, it's like it's not again. It's not it's not as bad as last year. Last year was like an all time dead zone free agency, but after the initial flurry this year, it has been really slow. Yeah, and like, so I think that's just kind of and so in January, January Eric is perfectly fine with the way the position the players <laughs> are in right now. Uh, now at the end of March. And like you know, we're talking about Adam Duvall being the starting left fielder, and we don't have other upgrades around the roster. Mark Derek might have a little bit stronger feelings, but for right now, I'm not too I'm not too worried. Yeah, and I think that's probably where I'll leave it. I think I probably said it all I need to say about Adam Duvall at this point. Um, it's not <laughs> it's not a scenario that I love, but you know, we've said this before. Adam Duvall is not as bad as people think he is. If he's as bad in 2019 as he was in 2018, then I will change my stance. But I I think. Judging a guy on like a hundred plate appearances over the rest of his career is just insanity, and that's what's happening right now. So, just just for Braves fans, so just pointing that out. I'm Could be you. wrong, by the way. I mean, I'm sure people will play this back if he's terrible, and I will own it. But <laughs> I just think that 
in general, when evaluating players, this goes beyond Duvall. I'm always going to lean with the, with the, with the larger sample um, over the smaller one, and sometimes that's going to get you beat. But sometimes you're going to be right, and I think more often than not, you're going to be right using the larger sample. And uh, kind of my problem is even even when Duvall, even when we thought Duvall was Duvall, the same guy that he was in Cincinnati, people hated that trade anyway because they saw his batting average. <laughs> if we're being honest, and and they and they believed a lot in those pitching prospects, which and well, that, that's well, hilarious. which that was... which is which is what it it is a little bit painful to think that. I mean, I think it's necessary and probable that the Braves have to make a trade uh, from their pitching depth into prospect pitching depth this offseason. And when that trade happens, I might just log off of Twitter for like two days. (laughs) Oh yeah. If they actually make a move, um, we've, we've long said this, but we'll say it again. If they actually make a quote unquote big trade involving some of our top 10 prospects, there will be a segment of Braves Twitter that just implodes, even if it's a great deal just because they include prospects and that's just what happens guys get attached to the prospects and i understand i mean when you've been especially you know pre-last year you've been in this rebuild for so long prospects were the were the number one thing in the capital you know that as you know as well as anybody as someone who covers them but um to get something good you have to give us something good and uh someone if they make a big trade it's going to involve at least one of the good prospects that's just kind of the nature of the beast yeah you're not going to get the you're not going to get the good major league players if and giving up your you know 25th ranked prospect and stuff like that it's just not why not <laughs> uh, anyway, all right. We'll save prospects for the end. We have one more thing on that at the very end of this podcast. But a couple quick hitters now, as we spent too much time on Adam Duvall, as we probably knew that we would. Um, yeah. One other thing um, in the outfield, and as Mark Bowman, in front of the program, referenced um, AJ Pollock as an option for the Braves, but only at three years or less. That was in the uh, most recent Bowman column, and he also says the Braves would would not be deterred by gra- by draft pick compensation which will have to happen with Pollock if the Braves were to sign him. He uh, he was actually issued a qualifying offer, so they'd have to give up a draft pick to go ahead and get him. Not a huge surprise there. Pollock is the best is the best player available in terms of free agency in the outfield other than Bryce Harper, um, but he's an injury risk, et cetera. I'm not sure I've asked you about Pollock. I know I've, sh- I've shared my opinion on him on this podcast. I don't, I'm not sure if I, I've, I've actually asked you about Pollock. What are you, where are you at with Pollock as an option, quote-unquote? Uh, I like I've liked him as an option for a while. I understand that he would he wants years and re, like and real money, which is which does complicate things a bit. But I like him. I like him defensively. You can kind of put you can play him anywhere in the outfield, and you play him there with confidence. The injury thing is a real thing, but it's not like he has a recurring shoulder injury or you know like something that's like the same injury over again. He's had some like weird fluky stuff happen, and I I have a tough time believing that he's just made of glass. If that makes any sense, um, I like. I mean, him. he might be. He's, that's that, that's one thing. Like, it's it's within the realm of possibility. The guys just keep getting hurt. But I agree with you in general in that it's not a chronic thing with him. Yeah, again, it's not like you know, like oh, he hurt his shoulder again. Here we go, or you know, there goes his knee, or you know, he has that bum foot. It's like you know, he had a broken arm, and you know, like it's it's been weird stuff that's been kind of happened happened to him, and not necessarily. He, has he had some injuries? Yes, I mean, one hundred percent, that's happened, and maybe he doesn't, you know. Maybe there's maybe there is a very much like kind of like again like a made of glass type thing, but I don't think that's necessarily likely. And but with that injury history, you might be able to get him at a price that I would be I would be interested in. And my level of interest, my level of willingness to commit years and dollars might be higher than say some people who like I, I saw someone that said like I I wouldn't give him more than a one year deal, and I think those people are crazy. That's that's, that's not going to happen uh, in the real world. But yeah, I mean I think there's it's all about price. For Pollock, that's yeah. um, probably more so than anybody, to be honest with you. That's actually, you know, within reason that's available. 
I saw some people talk about like 460. That's kind of an interesting price point decision for him. Um, I'm not sure where I fall on that. I think I'd be like, I would not come on here and praise or kill that deal. That's kind of right where I think it probably will. What, land. what about like what about a three year with an option for the fourth? Uh, sure. I mean, it's just kind of it's just it's just risk tolerance. I think yeah. that if he is healthy for even 120 games, he's worth that price. Um, it's just, I, there's the downside below that. <laughs> well, and, I mean, uh, considering that like what, at, like Andrew McCutcheon got and things like that, like in terms of like what the market is demanding for that, that's actually a really good deal. Yeah. The if, McCutcheon deal was kind of the one that was, it feels like the outlier and it felt like the outlier, even the moment, like everybody was like, what? That's a lot of money for him. Um, and I think he might be safer than Pollock, but Pollock's upside's quite a bit higher at this point, I would say. Um, Pollock, I'm someone who would be okay with that only, but yeah, the big thing that the Braves would have to be deciding, and I'm sure they already know this decision is, is risk tolerance, but it's also like, what is their payroll flexibility moving forward? That's something we just don't know. Like without specifics of that, you know, if you tell me that the team is willing to spend up to like 150, um, that's, it's easier to take on three for 45 or three for 50 for AJ Pollock. than if they're, if you're telling me that they had the same payroll they had last year, it's a little bit harder to, to take that risk on a player like Pollock. Um, so it's all, it's kind of a, there's a lot of factors that go into that. I think I would come on and if it was a, a market deal for him, I'm okay with that. I wouldn't be over the moon, but he he would help them a lot. He's the best again, the best player non Harper division that's available to the Braves right now that we know is available. Trade guys are available or not depending on the team that day. Free agents are different. It's just easier to sign a free agent than it is to make a trade. And Pollock's the best guy, so you can't really be that upset about it. If, if they give him a hundred million dollars, then no thanks. But <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm good on that. I'm good on that trade yeah, for sure. That's yeah, I mean it, it, it's all about price, and we'll uh, talk about that when it happens if it does. Uh, other things in the outfield in that Bowman column was that the Braves. This this one made me laugh, and I quote from Bowman here: "The Braves love Marquez as a person and appreciate all he provided over the last four years, but last season's first and second half splits have led Atlanta to continue exploring other options before possibly creating a reunion." End quote. Uh, nothing surprising there. Everybody loves Marquez. Everybody swears by that guy, but um, I think the Braves. It's pretty clear here in January that they do not view Arkekis as a number one option. Like they might end up there, but if they wanted to have him back, he would already be back. I'm fairly confident. Yeah, I think that they're quite certain that they're they they feel like that they can make an upgrade, and they're like and, the, and that second half. I mean, that second half drop off was a real thing, and, and you it kind wasn't of felt, just the second half either. It, it was it was before the second half. It was basically it was like starting at the end of May. May. Yeah, 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 it was like since like late May, and you know, and that's fine. I mean, like look, I was appreciative of those you know that two months of him you know pretending he was an MVP candidate, but at the same time, like that drop off definitely makes me go okay. That, that there was a reason why we were really hesitant to kind of have him as the long-term, you know, long-term outfielder in, you know, keeping him around for as long as he's been around. Again, if he, what, depending on price and the situation that presents itself, I don't necessarily hate the idea. Uh, but By again, the way, here's, but, here's what I would do as a uh, off-the-wall, and people are going to hate this. If, if the scenario we laid out earlier happens and the Braves want to go with a little bit cheaper, less commitment in the outfield, why wouldn't they just sign Marcakis and kind of mix and match him and Duvall together? Granted, granted, I'll say this before people get mad at me. Marquez might have a better option than that. Like he might have a full time starting job out there sitting for him in the league. But if he doesn't, if his market cools and the Braves have all the leverage, that probably would kind of be the best case scenario for all parties for yeah. Duvall and Marquez and just kind of like play the matchups on those guys. Like again, Duvall's really cheap. If you got Marquez for like $8 million for a season, maybe 10, 
you suddenly have this like pretty strong platoon for $13 million for one season and no commitment beyond that. That's not a bad option. I mean, I don't hate it. I, my I'm problem, thinking out loud. That, this is just an no, idea. No, 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 no one's no, reported no, I, this. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I mean, like, it's not an un, uninteresting notion. My problem with it is that with Brian Snitker at the helm, yeah, I was going to address that too. <laughs> and, and Nick Markakis on the roster, Nick Markakis is going to play as many games as Nick Markakis wants to play. That is a good point. I'm glad. I'm glad you made it because that's a fantasy. What I said was a fantasy land world, and as I'm sa- as I'm hearing you say that, I'm reminded that there's no way that he would actually do that. So yeah, I, I don't. I don't think. I don't think. I don't think those matchups would be like the like they might do it for one game, and Adam Duvall might go 0 for four, and we will and never. That would be it. And then we'll never see Adam Duvall in a lineup again. Well, that's like, what happened with uh, with Ender Enciarte and Adam Duvall. Yeah. It was it lasted like three games, and that was the end of that. Um, <laughs> because that's what. And by the way, that that platoon made even more sense on paper because Ender has a career long issue against left handed pitching. Marquez doesn't Adam, really have that. And then Adam Duvall stopped hitting anything, and Ender started hitting lefties a little bit better. Which is you know part of the course. Hey, I'll, I'll, a, that, that, I'll that, take it. That was fine. Yeah, we'll, we'll take Ender being a solid starting player. That's what he is. Um, okay, quickly moving on from that. Um, one more, this is not even really a thing, but Mark Bowman noted that it was more likely the Braves would re-sign Marquecas than actually sign someone like Carlos Gonzalez. That's been a name that's been out there in some circles. That doesn't surprise me at all. Marquecas is just a lot safer. So go ahead and go down that route if you want to go there. And Bowman also mentions that the defensive value seems to quote, dim the chances of, um, end quote of Nick, uh, Nick Castellanos. That's what we said as well. It didn't really seem like a Bravesy move, but he was floated at one point. So why don't we say that out loud as well? And Charles, yeah, Charles Smart Bowman. You have to really believe in your defensive metrics and your defensive positioning to make Nick Cassianos an interesting player because I mean I his bat say. his his bat's great, but I mean I, I don't know I think it was Ivan that showed me some of his defensive lowlights. Oh, it's, it's horrible. They're brood. They're 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 Matt Adams esque out there like Evan Gaddis in right. Oh, no, he's field. he's absolutely terrible. I I would be on board with that more than some because I think you just know what you're getting and I I do think the Braves. And the bat's um, so good. Yeah, his bat's really good, and the Braves did such a good job last year with Marcakis and positioning and things like that that I think they could make him a little bit better. He would still be terrible, but I think if there's a team in the league that might be able to sell him, it's a team that has Ender Enciarte and Ronald Acuna as the other as the other two outfielders. Sure, that sure. makes it a little bit easier to take on, especially when your infield defense is also great. With Don- you know, look around the, the infield and you have Donaldson, Swanson, Albies, Freeman. That's about as good as it gets. So. You could have, you could I, have I think, one weak point. You could have it. It's allowed. I promise. I, I, the problem is I don't think that Castellanos is cheap at this point because, I he's mean, I heard, I heard the rumor that, like, you know, he's going to be making real money in arbitration. And, like, the Dodgers asked about him and they asked for, like, their top outfielder prospect plus more for him. Yeah, it was – uh, In the last year of his contract, I'm like, oh, I don't want any part of that if that's the case. The Tigers but, were doing their um, Real Muto impression with with Castellanos and asking for the moon, which they should do, I suppose. But, yeah, I think that seems unlikely, and Bowman's saying that as well. Um, speaking of Real Muto, our, our weekly update on him, the last thing that I saw was Craig Mish saying, on, I believe on TV or on the radio, that he believes a package of Austin Riley, Ian Anderson, and a third piece of some acclaim would get it done for um real muto that's notable because at one point craig mish was the one talking about how i was gonna take i was gonna take ronald acuna to get or <laughs> ozzy albies yeah um but <laughs> acuna was the one that made everybody laugh and uh, he actually did report that so the price is coming down um but i guess the fun way to do this real, really quickly is to ask you if it came through with riley anderson and i don't know joey wentz for real muto would you be okay with that or is that too much that that is getting into the realm of where I'm pretty okay with it. I mean, I think that people are forgetting that JT Realmuto, he'll it'll be for two years, but 
there will not be a top three list of catchers over those two years, barring an injury, which is a real thing with catchers of catchers in the league that will not include JT Riumoto's name. Uh, I mean, he's, he's a the really best catcher in the league, I think. Honestly, I, yeah. I think If you ask I me right, right now to rank the guys for 2019 only, I think he'd be my pick at number one. I I think that's a perfectly reasonable and defensible. I mean, I can see like there's a couple other guys around the league that are very good. You know, I mean, one of them's a free agent right now, which is kind of complicating that Riumoto market a bit. Yes, but I mean, being Grandall's floating around, but I mean. He, he's going to be in that conversation. You know, he might not be that, be that for both years, but he'll be extraordinarily good, really great bat. Um, you know, a righty bat that would be very welcome in many permutations of the Braves lineup. I, I like I said that in, like a Riley, Ian Anderson type deal. Again, you kind of depends on what. I mean, there are people who think that Ian Anderson is the top pitching prospect in the Braves system, uh, and if you think that Austin Riley's the best prospect in the system and Ian Anderson's number two, like that. That that gets to be a hearty price. That's just not what my that's just not where my my heart is. As for like you know Joey Wentz is a third piece. I mean maybe sure maybe someone a little bit further. I'm just down. throwing it out there. Yeah, yeah he's like, like, he was like, he was like I was trying to think of like the, like the number fifteen prospect somewhere in that range. Yeah, they, somewhere in that kind of middle teens area seems about right. And you know it, it it's two years of him and that that kind of that, that certainly gets me interested. It's it's just hard to tell what the Marlins are really really want to try to get done. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, so. this is all this is all a crapshoot. By the way, we're not reporting. I, I mean, Mish did say what he said, which is the Riley Anderson third piece combination. But everything else is just conjecture by us. I think this is me talking. I have been. I think people know this. I've been pretty low on the prospect of of acquiring Real Muto just as a as a general rule because of catcher. I think he's really good. I think you just heard me say he was the best catcher in the league. Um, but. Riley Anderson and Wentz would be a deal that I would be okay with. I wouldn't be like doing jumping jacks and cartwheels, but I that's think a that's real, a pretty that's solid a real, deal. That's a real price. I mean, like you're paying. Yeah, you're paying a real price. That's why I wouldn't be ecstatic about it. But like, I think that's a reasonable price. I don't think that much more than that would entice me. But that's about what it should take for a star player, and that he's a star. Yep. I mean, and that's and that's two years of them. I mean, now if they're if they're still you know talking about getting Ozzy Albies and attaching prospects to that deal, nope. they've lost their minds. Yeah, uh, just 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 let just let it pass. And just here's let... a question for you. Here, here's a okay. fun one, and I think I know the answer to this, but I want to just get it out there. If if the Marlins said Real Madrid for Albies, nothing else, would you say yes or no? Whoo! I still probably say no. I, think. I would say I would say no, and I think you're higher higher on Albies than I am, and I would say no. So, yeah, it, I mean that. That I mean you you know what Albie's defensive value is going to be, and like you know and while age and control, <laughs> and then and if you're believe if you believe in the second half slump that was not necessarily what Albie's can be, and you think that he is capable of what he did in the first half, it's like you can get better out of Albie's like for the next few years than you got last year. And Albies was an all-star, you know what I mean? So it's, I, I couldn't, I couldn't see myself making that deal now. I agree. I think that's one that um, is a nice hypothetical because if they just decided they were holding out completely on uh, Albies or bust, I think the only way that that deal makes any sense for the Braves is if it's straight up and even then I wouldn't do it. So there you go. Uh, all right, last thing before I get you out of here a little bit faster than normal, but you know, we're, we're still at like 40 minutes. We've done plenty on this podcast. Um, Fangraphs came out with their, with, their, with their prospect list like two weeks ago, and I never asked you about it, so I'm going to do that here briefly. Um, also, a couple more coming out. So I think Baseball America is coming this week or something in that range. And then uh, we have our own list coming, I think, very soon, which I'll, which I'll have you plug at the end here. But did you see Fangraphs' list? It was, it was interesting in that it was a, a kind of a surprise at number one, at least for me. Um, and that was Christian Pache. 
So here's my thinking. And when I talked to when JJ Cooper, you know, by the way, shameless plug, please go listen to that podcast that I did with JJ. Uh, if for no if for no other reason that JJ's amazing and basically I just asked him questions and let him do his thing because he's he's an incredibly smart guy. He and I are on the same page is that if you take those first six or seven names, you can jumble them up and you can make real justifications for all of them. Um, I can tell you now. Uh, by the way, uh, Brad is correct. We are. I just today got the everyone's votes. Uh, we have six people participating in the. Uh, the prospect list making process this this off season, which makes things a little bit, you know, again more like herding cats. Uh, but we have, I'm just making sure uh, we have all those votes in, so that vote list will be coming out next week. Uh, start rolling out next week anyway. And so, in terms of like putting Pache, putting Riley, Soroka, you know, Ian Anderson, Kyle Wright, you're going to find believers in all those guys. Um, I mean, if you see Pache at one and you see Waters at like six on the in Pache on Fangraphs list. And on Baseball America's list, I mean, Waters is ahead of Pache, uh, and they're neither of which are number one. Uh, so it's I, I totally get it. I don't, I, and I'm Ky, Kylie is a very smart guy. I know he's very high on Pache uh, in terms of his overall athleticism and the steps he t- takes and all that good stuff. So it's not super surprising to me that you know he was getting a lot of love. And I know that a lot of scouts really just in terms of like true athleticism, it's Pache is an easy guy to dream on. So are there things about him that are you know a little bit concerning in terms of you know his actual ability to steal bases versus his speed and you know whether or not his on base tool will will play overall in, in a significant way. Um, I I get I get all those arguments and in terms of how those first seven or eight names, as long as you have them in there, I'm fine because again it's it's not as clear as it was last year where you know it was Ronald Acuna, no one there was no one else close. Um, Soroka probably would have had a, a, a stranglehold on the list if he hadn't gotten hurt. Um, but if he hadn't gotten hurt, he also wouldn't have been a prospect anymore because he would have gotten over the innings limit. So, it's it's kind of a tough. I I don't I don't fault anyone for getting that order any different because I'm looking at the votes that we've we've all put in for the list that we're putting out next week, and no top five is anywhere close to the same. It looks like, and there's a lot of different names floating around in different spots and things like that. So it's going to be. As long as there are definitely defined tiers, but within those tiers, you can re-rank any of these, and I'm totally fine with it. But the short answer to your question is, yes, I, I, I have seen it, uh, I and I don't have strong feelings one way or the other just because I those guys, I'm with JJ and I'm with Kylie, is that they're, a lot of them are very closely ranked together for me anyway. Um, and next week you will see that there's going to be a lot of people who are going to wonder why some guy's three and some guy's six, <laughs> uh, when the reality is there's not that much difference between any of them for us yeah tier, tiers are important and um that's, that's in general with any ranking system i think doing tiers is always almost more effective in some ways but um the one the one surprise i have in fangrass list by the way while we're here is that tukey was behind Contreras. that one blew me away i'll be honest um it's it's, it's a little it's, thing it doesn't really matter I, that, that was the one thing that you know pache at number one was a mild surprise tukey being up what was it eight that was more of a surprise to me, but I again, people who listen to, to this podcast for a long time would know that I've been in on Tukey forever, so that's probably more of a me thing, maybe. But I anyway. I know that Kylie has previously written that he thinks that what Tukey's role is going to end up being is a Lance McCullers type, which is a guy that sometimes starts and sometimes out of the bullpen. And in terms of overall value, if you think he's going to spend a significant amount of time in the bullpen, I yeah, completely understand. If you, I understand the ranking now. If you think he's going to be a full time starter and you watch his curveball for any amount of time. And yeah, I could see him. I could see him being number one. 
because he made it to the major leagues and he like looked really good in some of those starts. And if you think that he took a real step forward last year, uh, especially with that kind of that split changeup that he's got, like I could, I could, I could, I could see a justification for that. Uh, it's not a low percentage thing that I, that I would ever a conclusion that I would ever make. But he's you know, in terms of overall stuff, if he you know if it all clicks for him, he's a front line starter. Like end oh, of yeah. conversation. Full stop. <laughs> I always defer to you on prospect things, um, just in general. So I'm not going to argue about any of that stuff. Uh, did you see or hear the podcast that they briefly discussed uh, Pache being very available for Baseball America podcast? I think it was JJ and I'm trying to remember who else it was. Brand, uh, I'm blanking right now. But did, did you see that was a thing? I didn't. I, I actually didn't uh, I, hear I, it, but it was aggregated, so I saw it. Uh, I did see it was a thing, and I think that it's. I think that the Braves are talking about some very real. You know, whether it be JT Realmuto or big names, you know, what the Indian starters, I'm sure, Mitch Hanniger discussions, things like that. And if you're not floating names like Christian Pache in those in those discussions, then those deals are non starters. So yeah, I'm sure that he's available and I'm sure he's coming up in a lot of conversations because, you know, they, they have a very similar player in Drew Waters in their system. And if they like the uh, the prospect of, you know, one Pache has a lot of things that have like that scouts will really like in terms of overall tools. And if they feel like that they that Waters hit tools is has a better chance of paying off, then why wouldn't you float Christian Pache in like high level deals? Now, if they like flo- again float him for a middle reliever or something, then there's something that I'm not aware of in terms that of that isn't going to happen. <laughs> yeah, but he, he's probably getting floated in real high level conversations. But if those in a high level deal, I could see Pache going, but if it's not a high level deal, I don't. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think you know. Him being available is a story, but it's not a surprising one. Prospects are available unless they're just absolutely uber elite Acuna level prospects. Guys are usually available and to some degree. It doesn't mean they're doesn't mean they're shopping him or they're going to trade him. But Pacha isn't an Acuna level prospect, so he's available, and that makes sense. When you yep. when you when, when you're a team is trying to win now, and you have a guy who might be a stud, and I think he might be. He's got a lot of tools, but a guy who I think he has like a 380 career slugging percentage in the minors, like he's it, not. It, it, there's there's things about him, and he made a big jump this past year. Like, he was really good this year. And again, I'm higher on him than I was a year ago because of that. So I can see more more of the hype now. But I think people see number one prospect overall in their ranking system, like like Fangraphs had him, and like why would that why would that guy be available? And my my response, and again, you always know better than I do. My, my response would be that he isn't a Acuna level prospect, and that's why. No, he is not. Uh, now, if they had traded Ronald Acuna last offseason, uh, you would have seen. <laughs> well, that's that, that they they knew what they had, and but if that had happened, that like any and all riding would be both understood by me and encouraged by me. Oh, I mean for sure. I mean even even now though, like Pache, if you don't have a number, even if you have a number one, I don't think he. I mean, where is he in a full in a full baseball ranking? Is he a top twenty prospect in baseball? Top ten? No, no, no. So those guys he, are available. Once you get past the top five, usually those guys are really available, and that's what happens. It doesn't mean they're going to trade him. But prospects are capital, and they should be. I mean, there's a reason I get tra- why they get traded. It's because they're riskier than proven players. And I and I will say this: I'm, I haven't done all the math let, mo- the math yet. I am pretty sure that Christian Pache is not a top five prospect on our list. Ooh, that will so, be uh, interesting. I, and, I actually and, don't and, think and, I'll and, be upset about that. But and, and he uh, was not a t- and he was not a top five prospect on Baseball America's list. So, like I said, it's uh, th- that whole tier of that t- seven or eight players. You can you can jumble them all up, and I get it. Like you could justify all those to me, uh, and uh, and it wouldn't take a much like you know a half of a tool grade to turn a guy who's like a number seven guy into like the number one overall prospect. Um, and that's I mean I, that, that's and that's kind of crazy how close it is at the top. Yeah, 
I mean, that makes sense. It's a a big top tier, and that's when it happens, you have to just kind of take it for granted. I mean, people are going to see things differently, and that's the nature of the beast. I, I always default to you guys because I know you, there's no one that watches them more than you guys do. Uh, all respect to the national guys who are all great, including the guys we've discussed on this podcast. And by the way, it was, it was Kyle Glazer with uh, JJ on that podcast. I want to shout gotcha. him out. Um, I, I know those guys do a great job. Um, our friend, good friend of the program, Carlos Colazzo, does a great job. All that fun stuff, but our guys watch the Braves prospects. That's what they do. So yeah, just point. And, and, I'll, I'll say that. I'll say that so you don't have to. But I think we do the best Braves prospect coverage on the internet. So that's what I would be looking at, and what, and that's where I get my information from, and where I'll be checking out. And uh, that's some self promotion for uh, you. But there you go. Well, that's very kind. Uh, but I I will say that again. I, I I know how much work goes into what baseball America work does, as well as what Fangraphs does too. And all you have to do is just like see see guys on slightly different days, or just get some slightly different information from scouts. Because the, when I when I say that it's it's close, I mean if if I put up the comp, composite and I put it to all of our guys right now, I'm like, hey, this is the list, and Pache ended up as a number two overall prospect, just for whatever reason, weird math, or you know, I don't think any of them would even blink an eye. Because again, we all kind of it's been kind of it's been harder this year, not because we have like two or three guys at the top that we're in love with or anything like that. It's just, there's, there's different things and you just, it comes down to what you like the most, uh, out of given players, uh, in those like, you know, seven or eight guys. And I could, you know, again, it's, it's tough, but I, I can see where you can just see justifications for all of them. So I, I don't want to denigrate anybody. Uh, I am oh, certainly, no. ha- I'm certainly going to be happy with the result because I know that all the guys that we're going to be having, um, and by the way, shout out to the Garav, Garrett, Matt, Aaron, Wayne, uh, it's just everyone's been working really hard to kind of make these lists work. So they, those we're gonna have a lot of we're gonna have a lot of input into this list. I'm gonna feel really good about the overall list. I feel it's gonna kind of get a good sense as to kind of where we stand. Um, but you know, there's a lot of good information out there. Certainly not from us, but you know, if, you, if I'm given the choice, you know, and to ask where you guys should read it, it's probably gonna be from us. <laughs> I think the last time that I genuinely like was like disrespectful to a prospect list elsewhere was the famous Ryan Weber Fangraphs list which was several years ago now. Usually, Do you you remember what happened with me in that particular situation? uh, I think I vaguely do, but I want you to tell the story now that you brought it up on the podcast. (laughs) Okay, so this is going to be, this is how we're going to end the podcast. We'll end with this, yes. Yeah, because uh, I know Brad has some other things he's got to do this evening. Uh, So I I saw this list, uh, which had Ryan Weber and, um, oh God, he pitches for the... uh, the pitches for the Cardinals now. Another another pitching prospect that shouldn't have been. Uh, in the was it five. was it John Gant? It was John Gant. Uh, I think Ryan Weber was Ryan Weber was number two, and John Gant was number five, or maybe maybe those roles were actually reversed. Uh, something like that. They were both in the top five. It was very. It was and again, I'm not going to mention this particular writer's name because he's not writing about baseball anymore. Um, which oddly enough did not ha- happen not long after this list came out. Uh, I was so mad because people were already tweeting at me about why our list was so different from the Fangraphs list and why we didn't have this guy ranked as high. You know, what about Ryan Weber? You forgot about him. I, I got so mad about it that I I tweeted at the writer. I said, can we please talk about your list? Because I honestly don't think you watch these guys play baseball. And he tweeted back at me immediately. And for about 45 minutes, we were yelling at each other on the internet. I was so upset. I'm looking that, now. Uh, Gant was <laughs> Gant was number two ahead yep. of Sean Newcomb and Colby Allard, uh, uh, and and uh, uh, Weber was number five on the list. No, and no, there's, afterwards, there's, there were changes made because he got so much he got he got so much flack. Well, a large I think a large amount of that was me because one Colby Allard was not on his original list. I remember. And, 
And Austin Riley, if I remember correctly, didn't appear on the list at all either. And I was particularly upset. Just I just did not feel like that much effort was put into scouting the players that were actually prospects. Oh my god, this is this is a nice trip through time. By the way, yeah. um, my Soroka eleven, uh, Max Free twelve, Tuki Toussaint thirteen on a list that had John Gannett too. Yep. Uh, so so I was pretty up. I was pretty upset, and uh, I went to a movie with my wife afterwards. Uh, this was like right around Valentine's Day, I believe. And he, I, my my phone won't stop buzzing because I'm getting a lot of those like you know Michael Jackson eating popcorn gifts at me because I'm yelling at this guy constantly, and I just I just I had to stop. Uh, and then I once I came back out of the movie, someone had told some multiple people sent me a message that he changed his list after I'd argued with him. Uh, and I came back, and that was that, that was to the edited improved version, is what you're looking at right now. Uh, but unfortunately, I also know that I think he made he wrote one more uh, top prospect list for a team, uh, and then he seemed just kind of stopped writing and was gone. And I actually am, have a lot of regrets about that. I feel like I should have handled that differently. I was partic- I was just upset in the moment. Uh, it kind of taught me a valuable lesson about yelling about people on the internet because uh, I do think that you know he put some work into that. I don't necessarily agree with the conclusions that he came to, but yeah. It was, I- uh, but I, it, 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 I know it was bad for him. Yeah, when, when I brought it up, it was just because that was the last time. And I think, you know, on this podcast, we, we talked about a lot of lists in the last three years or so. Some yeah. of them we disagree with. And I think that's totally okay. I'm, we're usually very respectful, and there's usually a reason for things why they happen. That was the last time that I just remember thinking something was just absolutely insane from a major outlet that I just like lost my mind. And, and as, as you just said, you did, you did as well. I really, I, I was really bad. I was that guy online, like, I, and I but was. But everybody dunking. was. It wasn't. I mean, to be fair, I, mean, I, I, I remember this now, and I remember you saying all of that to me beforehand, and I remember you being a prominent part of that. But you were certainly not alone. Everyone no. was like, "What is this list? What is going on?" Um, so all that to say, this year's Fangraphs list, Baseball America list, non-talking chop lists, they're not like that. If we if we see oh. something crazy, we'll we'll probably tell you that. But like I referenced Pache and Tuki from the Fangraphs list. Things that I, you know, mildly disagree with are not things that I think are preposterous. So, you know, Fangraphs, those guys, everybody else, Pipeline, there'll be some weirdness on there sometimes in our minds, but um, usually uh, it's just friendly disagreement. We just kind of see things differently. Um, every once in a while, you'll see a crazy one like that one that we just talked about. But uh, for the most part, to each their own. I just trust our guys, and that's me saying that. So there you go. Well, and that's very kind. And to, and to the Jim Callis's, Dick Keith Laws, you know, JJ Cooper's, Kylie McDaniels, we love all of you very much, and we appreciate all the information that you give us. Uh, so it's it's I don't know it's it's a purely subjective thing, and it's going to show up a lot more in Braves list this year, I think. Uh, it's not going to be like you know some automatic you know one two three type guys this year. Oh yeah, it's a lot lot more uh, juicy, I think. So uh, please bookmark talkingchop.com, check it out every single day. We'll tweet it out when it comes, when the big list comes. But there's plenty of content between now and then. Stuff always happens, even if when there's nothing happening. Like today, you wrote about baseball cards. Yeah, I'm going to be collecting baseball cards. And I've decided that I, I, I collected them a lot when I was a kid, and I decided I kind of wanted to chronicle that journey and getting back into it. Uh, and I'm finding out multiple things about that collecting, including that it's both very expensive now, and um, and uh, it's actually a bit of a rabbit hole in terms of how much information is out there. So I'm kind of digging through that, but it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, man, it's going to be fun to follow that. I look forward to it. And uh, anyway, we plugged a lot. Um, anything else that you have to share before we get out of here? I know there's uh, not much going on other than football tonight, so there you go. Nope. Make sure you uh, tweet your football predictions, base, basketball predictions, uh, baseball trade predictions to Brad at BT Roland. Uh, he wants any <laughs> and all of them. Uh, he especially wants your trade proposals uh, and whether or not you think that the Hawks and, and all the reasons why you think the Hawks are going to make the playoffs. Make sure you get in touch with him. Uh, and you can follow me at Leprechaun with a K. Follow Eric. Follow the site at Talking Chop. Follow me if you'd like to for all Atlanta Hawks content. 
And um, yeah, stay tuned. We'll come back at some point in the new future. If there is a big move, we will do our best to scramble and have an emergency podcast. If not, it'll probably be another week plus before we record just because I am out of town this upcoming weekend. So again, set your calendars. The trade will be happening on Saturday morning. Be ready for that. Um, but again, tongue in cheek, all that, all, all that fun stuff aside, please subscribe to the pod. We'll see you guys next time. Around.